Pardon. I think we're working now. If it'll just keep on going. It was on. Yeah, let's go ahead just in case. get started with our Bible class this morning. As you know, we've been talking about the influencers over the past few weeks. Matter of fact, this is week number eight that we'll be talking about it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we t- or actually last week, we talked about a couple of things, is what I should say. Uh, when we are talking about being a good influence in our community, we know that we have to be honest and filled with integrity. 
And then not only that, but we also know that we must be stalwart in our convictions. And so this morning, I want to continue to build on those things and simply say that we must always seek to keep our temper under control if we want to be a good influence in our community. Now, having thought about that, many of you may have heard of the na- a man by the name of Albert Schweitzer. I don't know if you have or not, but he's a pretty famous theologian. Uh, he was a Lutheran theologian. As you can see, he lived from 1875 to 1965. And so he lived in the lifetime of, during the lifetime of some of us who are here. But Mr. Schweitzer won the 1952 Nobel Peace Prize for his philosophy of reverence for life. Of course, that's a a very good thing, you know, having the reverence, uh, reverence for human life. But he has a good observation in regard to influence. And let me just simply put it on the screen. He said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Uh, Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Now, of course, when people look at us, they see how we live, they see what we do, they listen to what we say, and so we're setting an example, and so that example is the way that we influence so many people. Many of you remember the old 1970s television show, The Incredible Hulk. Many of you may have seen that, or at least seen parts of it, but... You had Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno who starred in that. And when the show came on, the narrator said, Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have, then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation interacts with his unique body chemistry. And now, when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. And then, you know, it cuts to a scene as it's coming on, and he is trying to change a tire, flat tire, in the rain, and the lug wrench, you know, it slips. I don't know if you've ever had that to happen. It may not have been a lug wrench. It might have been something else. And, man, you just bust those knuckles. And the very first thing that he begins to do is his eyes start changing. You know, you can see it. And he winds up just taking the car and throwing it off the cliff. I don't know about, about you, but I thought about doing that if I could sometimes, you know. Just pick it up and throw it away. Well, as the show goes on or as it uh, continues, the narrator says, the creature is driven by rage and, and is pursued by an investigative reporter. And then it goes to him, Banner, talking to this investigative reporter and says, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And, of course, we know what's happening. He's going to turn into the Incredible Hulk if he, makes him, if he makes him mad. But continuing on, it goes on and says, the narrator says, he must let the world go on thinking that he too is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Everybody knows the Incredible Hulk is driven by anger and And, you know, they have more movies that have come out. Marvel has movies that have come out in regard to the Incredible Hulk. And we know that, that, you know, that's fiction. We understand all of that. But you know what the sad thing is? There are a lot of Christians, a lot of people, even Christians, who have their own version of the Incredible Hulk. You see, they have an anger problem. They have a problem with anger. Have you ever known anyone who has had a problem with anger, a problem with a temper, 
and flies off the handle, the old saying is, you know, at the drop of a hat. Have we ever known? Probably we've known someone who is a lot like that. You know, there are a couple of scriptures that I'm reminded of when we talk about that. The Bible says, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, the anger of man, the things that we get angry about, that is not what makes things right. It doesn't produce right things in life the right things of God in life so that people see our influence, see our example, and we influence them in the right way. Then there's another passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, where Paul writes and says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now we're going to come back to this passage toward the end of the lesson this morning, as much time as we have. But we do see here something that the Bible has to say about anger. Now, in relation to the concept of a temper and in relation to the concept of having anger in our life, I want to go to a a place where you might really not think about us beginning this morning. Now, whenever you think of Jonah, when you think about the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, What do you think about? When I say Jonah, and when I say turn to the book of Jonah, what do you think about? Well, you know what most people think about? They think about Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. And that, it it happened. We know that it happened. And we know that that's important because in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus compared his own crucifixion and time in the grave to the time that Jonah spent in the belly of the big fish. We know that's important. But you know what? I'm not sure that that is the most important aspect of the book of Jonah. I'm not sure that that is the reason that the book of Jonah was written for us. I'm not convinced that that was the only thing that God wanted us to know, that he was swallowed up by a fish, he stayed there three days, he spit out on dry ground, and then Jonah went and preached. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's not the case. Because when I go to the book of Jonah, here's what I find, and chapter 4 is really summing up the entirety of the book for us. And so let's go to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. When the Ninevites had repented at his preaching, the next thing the Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Do you realize that what the book of Jonah is about is the anger of Jonah? We talk about the book of Job. When we read the book of Job, What's the conclusion? What's the overarching theme of the book of Jonah? The patience of Job. What's the overarching theme of the book of Jonah? The anger of Jonah. And a lot of times we haven't caught that. We we read the first three chapters and we just sort of pass over lightly chapter 4. But chapter 4 is the summation of what the whole book is about. Verse 1 said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Look at verse 4. 
And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is God speaking to Jonah. Is it good for you to be angry? Going down to verse 9. But God said to Jonah, (coughs) Excuse me. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. What's chapter 4 about? Chapter 4 is about the anger of Jonah. Okay? But he's summing up the anger of Jonah in chapter 4 based on what has happened in the first three chapters. Okay? And so when we look at it, we have that concept of anger. Okay? So let's spend a few minutes this morning talking about anger and anger in general. But as we think about anger in general, anger usually begins with I. Uh, Not the spelling of the word, but it begins with I. Me, myself, you know. Me, myself, and I, okay, begins with I. Let's go back to the book of Jonah again to see this. Going back to the verse, uh, verse 1. But it displeased who? Jonah. When, they, when the Ninevites repented, who did it displease? Jonah. Who got angry? Jonah did. It displeased Jonah, and he was angry, going on to verse number 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious, are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Who is Jonah's anger all about? What made him angry? What made him lose his temper, even his temper with God? Well, it was about Jonah. Jonah's focus was on Jonah. I said... God, I already had all this figured out, even before I left. Before I left home, I already had it figured out. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what you was going to do. I, 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 me, me. Jonah was the one who was displeased. Jonah was the one who became angry. You know, sometimes people... Maybe it's somebody or something that comes along and messes with our pretty picture of life. That's what God had done with Jonah's, wasn't it? He had messed with his pretty picture of life. Those Ninevites over there, they're our enemies. They deserve to be destroyed. And whatever they get, they couldn't get, you know, it wouldn't be enough for them. But God comes along and He messes up Jonah's pretty little picture. We all get stressed out. We go on a rant sometimes. Maybe it gets even worse. That's what Jonah really did, isn't it? From the beginning of chapter 1, when God told him to go, he pitched his little hissy fit and got on the ship and started the other direction. Did he not? That's exactly what's happening. We get upset because things don't work out the way we planned, or worse yet, our predictions come true. That's what Jonah was thinking in his mind, what God was going to do. And, and, and he goes on and says that we read, and it's better for me there at the, uh, near, near the end of verse number 3. 
It's better for who? Me. How, how am I going to look if, if all of these people back over here in the promised land, my people, your people, God, my, my fellow Jews over here, the Hebrew nation, how am I going to look if I go over there and, and, and I contribute to, uh, contribute to saving our enemy? How am I going to look? It's all about me. And, and, and you know, even worse than that, what are others going to think about me? What are they going to think about? You ever been concerned with that? Something didn't go exactly like you planned? What are people going to think about me? It's all about me. It begins, anger begins a lot of times with I. But you know what? Keeping on there in the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Now remember, God had caused the plant to grow up so it could give uh, Jonah some shade. He's sitting over there on the... He's not on a ship, you know, pitching his hissy fit. Now he's sitting up there watching what's going to happen to the city of Nineveh and, and, and he's sitting out in the sunshine and so God causes this plant to grow up, give him some shade while he's pitching his hissy fit there. Well, the, 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 uh, God causes a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that, it might, uh, that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Again, as we look at this, this concept here, the scorching wind, the sun beat down. He became faint. You see, what happened is he lost his comfort. He felt some pain in his life. You took something from me and now I'm hurt. Folks, if we're trying to find happiness in things, then we're only going to end up getting hurt and being angry. We talked about happiness this morning. And that's what we find in Jonah. I, 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 me. It's all about me. But then not only do we see anger beginning with I, anger usually grows because of you. You. Grows because of you. Again, going back to verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God. And merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. God, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. Again, I ask, why did Jonah run away to begin with? Why did he get on a ship and go the opposite direction? I've heard preachers preach about how he was afraid to go over there, you know, and preach and fearful for his life. The Bible tells us why Jonah got on the ship. The Bible says he got on the ship while he was yet in his own country. I knew what you was going to do, God. I knew you were going to forgive them. If they repented, you're going to forgive them. And I didn't want that. It's your fault that I'm angry now. I knew all of that. 
He said that's why I got on the ship. That's why I left. I knew it. I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew it was you, God, who was going to cause the problem. Look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do good or do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, the scorching wind, the sun beat down. He was faint, and now the plan is gone. Did he blame God? Did he blame the worm? Did he blame the sun? Did he blame the plant itself? You stupid plant. I knew you wasn't going to last. You grew up overnight, and you couldn't last very long. He was angry for the plant. If it wasn't God's fault, it was the plant's fault. You know, we live in a culture today that said it's not my fault. Not my fault. Not my fault I'm not happy. Not my fault I'm angry. You know, it's big business's fault. Or it's uh, Wall Street's fault. Or it's the government's fault. Or it's the police's fault. It's everybody else but me. I read about a survey that was done in England. 50% of Britons, those British folks, have reacted to problems with their computer by abusing colleagues, hitting the computer, screaming, shouting, or hurling parts of the PC. 22% said they hit the computer but caused no damage. They didn't hit it hard enough, evidently. 7% said they hit the computer itself and they caused damage because they got mad. It's it's that stupid computer's fault, right? 19% said their anger resulted in damage to the keyboard, broken keyboard. I don't know what they did. I might have picked it up and slammed it on the desk. I don't know. 17% said they shattered the monitor. They they just messed up the the picture. They couldn't see it. Another 17% said they destroyed the mouse because of their anger. And 50% of those who who were in Britain who were in this survey, half of the people said that I've taken it out on somebody or, or, or the computer itself. I just got so angry. wasn't their fault. The computer didn't work. They didn't punch the right key. They didn't do, hit the right button. They didn't program it in the right way. You know what the real fact is? The real fact is that God points the finger back at Jonah. And he does that with his question to Jonah. Do you do well? And remember, twice in that chapter, God asked Jonah, says, do you do well to be angry? Now, Jonah thought he did. Jonah Jonah was convinced that he did. Jonah was convinced that he was not to blame, that it was somebody else's fault. But God knew better. 
Jonah's anger, his tantrum, his temper fit, was misplaced and uncalled for. God called him out on it. But then, still thinking about Jonah in a sense, anger is fixated on the zero. On the zero. What do we mean by that? Let's go back to the book of Jonah, chapter 4 again, verses 9 through 11 this time. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor? Or did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? What is the point? The point is this. God points out to Jonah, he said, uh, in reality that plant, it was really of no consequence at all. None. Zilch. Zero. It it really had no bearing on anything. And, And you know what? Much of what angers us really has no value at all. Really, it doesn't. Again, talking about some stats from the workplace. Talked about the computer things a moment ago. This is a a different one, but here's some some anger stats. 50% get angry because colleagues talk loudly in the workplace. Now, that may be disturbing, I understand, but people get mad because somebody talks a little too loud. 40% dislike petty selfishness in the workplace. Now, what do they define as petty selfishness? Things like, well, they fixed themselves a cup of coffee, but they didn't offer me one. That's petty, isn't it? They dislike that. Just because you didn't serve me, you didn't make me a cup, you didn't bring me one, they got mad. 40%, 30% complain about colleagues' untidiness in the kitchen. Maybe they just didn't clean up after themselves. Talking about in the the workplace kitchen. 20% were angered by colleagues who looked depressed all the time. I got mad because you looked like you were unhappy. You know, we, we just can't have the idea. If I get angry over it, then it's definitely the right thing to get angry about. Because some things are just not worth getting angry over. They are the zero. The zero. And that's exactly what God points out to Jonah. On the other hand, God was justified in his anger, was he not? Backing up to chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is what the people of Nineveh were saying after Jonah had preached to them. When God saw that they did, uh, saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said would come to the, uh, that He would do to them, and He did not do it. 
God was justified in his anger. Why? Because these people were wicked folks. Bad enough that he said, I've had enough and I'm going to destroy you. If you don't change, if you don't get it fixed right now, I will destroy you. He was justified over the... What were they doing? I don't know all they were doing, but I do know a lot of the things that those people did. They murdered their children. They murdered other folks. They stole in the name of the law. They did a lot of things. They were wicked, the Bible says. Thinking about Psalm 7, verses 9 and 10, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous who... You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright of heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent his, uh, and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Uh, focus on that part uh, God feels indignation every day. Over what? Sinfulness. Wickedness. And that's exactly what the Ninevites, what they, uh, what they were doing. But on the other hand, Jonah, he just got mad over a plant. And he got mad over the, over the, the people who repented. The 120,000 people that God Himself had created and that He loved. Jonah's anger was misplaced, but God's was justified. Now, as an influencer, do you possess the ability to keep your temper under control, or are you a Jonah? Are you a Jonah? I would remind you, I said we'd come back to this verse very quickly. He said, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. The Bible does not forbid us ever becoming angry. The Bible does teach us that we are to take care of it immediately and get things worked out. Let not the sun go down so that your exasperation continues to grow and you've got to resolve it promptly lest the devil tempt you to sin. Anger. Should God ask you what He asked Jonah? Do you do well to be angry. If God asked you that question, how would you answer Him? Jonah didn't do too good in his answer. Jonah said, yeah, I deserve to be angry and I deserve even you know, to be angry enough, just, just kill me. He, he was convinced that much. But how would you answer Him? Over whatever you get angry about. How would you answer him if God were to somehow miraculously speak to you at that point and say, do you do well to be angry? How would you answer But then how would he answer you? How would he answer you? You know, it's a lot to think about, isn't it? It brings me back to where we started. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Let's close with a prayer real quickly. Holy and righteous Father, again, we're thankful for the opportunity that we've had to open up your word. 
We pray, Father, that we can learn some lessons from it that will help us in our life, that will help us to be a good example, even in, in keeping ourselves under control and, and dealing with situations in life. Continue to be with us. Father, forgive us when we do sin, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.